Amen. Well, if you'll turn your Bibles to John's Gospel, the first chapter, Go Tell It on the Mountain is a, a fitting song for us this morning as we consider the call that we have in our lives to go and tell, to be witnesses. And so as we consider that, we're going to continue in this Advent series to, to look at John the Baptist. We have looked at Luke's Gospel and how God broke 400 years of silence to tell John's father that John indeed would be born, and we looked at John's father's response to that, how Zachariah did not believe, and as a result, he was mute until John's birth. We looked last Lord's Day at Luke's Gospel, at at his wife Elizabeth, and at her relative Mary's response, not just to the announcement of the birth of John, but to the birth of Christ, and how there was belief there compared to Zachariah's unbelief. And today, we're going to look, as well as next Lord's Day, at now the, the ministry of John the Baptist and things we can learn from that. And to learn about that, we're going to look to the Apostle John's Gospel. And so today, we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, as well as verses 19 through 28. And so out of reverence for God's Word, once more, if you're able, if you would stand together as I read this text for us, as we come to this third Sunday of Advent and celebrate the light of Christ. And this is what the word says. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, Well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor the Elijah, nor the prophets? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal, I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. If you'll pray with me, church. Father, just as we have read and studied over the last few weeks, you broke centuries of silence to give your word to your people. And Father, we live in a time and age now where we have the, the complete word. We have the canon of your scripture. We have the fully revealed gospel of our Lord Jesus so Lord, would you empower us through your Holy Spirit to listen to that word today. To, to respond to that word through faith, through belief, through repentance. And these things will only come as a work that you do in our lives. So would you do that work now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As we come into this Advent season, this Christmas season, there are Probably things that all of us enjoy. There may be something particular about the Christmas season you enjoy. I know for me, one of the things I've shared about before is 
is I love all the, the Christmas specials this time of year. And as I've shared before, one of my favorite ones, uh, actually is coming on this Thursday night, is that Charlie Brown Christmas special. Uh, I assume everyone in this room has probably seen or heard of the Charlie Brown Christmas special, but in case you haven't, <laughs> it aired for the first time over 50 years ago in 1965, and it, it tells the story of these cartoon characters uh, designed in the mind of Charles Schultz, and it's around Christmas time, and, and it centers on the, this one character on Charlie Brown as he is lamenting and kind of just overall frustrated with the commercialization of Christmas. And so in the story, in the special there, you've got all this pageantry and all this excitement about Christmas, but the excitement seems to be wrapped up in things that are bigger and better and flashier. And in the midst of that, you've got this one little bald-headed kid who's trying to figure out, well, what is Christmas really all about? And so... That there's this scene where things kind of come to a head and the, the special there where Charlie Brown is sent out with the task of buying the Christmas tree for the pageant. And he goes to the Christmas tree lot and of course all these trees are, are massive and glittery but his attention is drawn towards this one little puny branch. And that's what he buys. He takes it back to the Christmas pageant only to be met with the laughs of his schoolmates. And in fact, it's one of the few times there in any Charlie Brown special where uh, Snoopy starts laughing out loud. Usually it's just that nonverbal cynicism from Snoopy, but he just starts cackling and laughing at Charlie Brown. And most of the kids start to leave the stage, and then this little bald-headed Charlie Brown character is looking at his little puny Christmas tree, and he just cries out, Can anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? Q Linus. <laughs> Here comes Linus, this other little character that Schultz designs. And if you know Linus, you know he's always got that, that blue blanket with him that he holds onto. It's his security, and he's sucking that thumb. And he walks out there center stage. He calls for the lights to come on. And then this little cartoon character shares from the Gospel of Luke, and he shares the Christmas story. Now, that scene that is really the that the focal point of that Christmas special almost never aired. The network executives back in 1965 were not very excited about the idea of the Bible being read on air, and so they tried to cut that scene from it. Schultz pushed back. Ultimately, he won, and now for over 50 years, at some point during the Christmas season, that little cartoon Linus has shared the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone who would watch around the world. He shares this story, and in sharing it, he reminds us this morning of the importance of us sharing that story as well. See, what's exciting and amazing about the Charlie Brown Christmas special isn't just that this little cartoon character depiction is a witness of the gospel. What's exciting about it, what's encouraging about it, is it reminds us that we need to be witnesses as well. That there's a lot of Charlie Browns in this world. <laughs> That there's a lot of Lucy's, there's a lot of people who have made such a big deal about the commercialization of Christmas and everything surrounding Christmas. Somebody needs to stand to center stage and tell what this is really all about. And I believe God has put that call on our life as we sang already. We are to go tell it on the mountain, we are to go tell it everywhere. And so as we consider these things, I want us to consider them in light of the text we come to today, John chapter 1, because here we find one who was bearing witness 
Here we find one who's not in center stage at a school pageant, but but one who is standing there by the banks of the river calling people to faith and to repentance. One who is a witness of the light of Christ. And as we look to this witness and consider it, I want us to consider God's call in our lives. You'll notice that your your page there and your notes is blank. It'll be an easy outline today. We're just going to walk through John chapter 1, verse 7, beginning with that first point. He came as a witness. God sent a witness. That's what we see here in this text. God had, again, had 400 years of silence. He breaks through that silence, not just to proclaim that that the Messiah would be born, but to say, first, there would be a witness that would be born. That there would be a man that would be born. And this man would be John. In fact, it's interesting as you read John's Gospel to see that, that John very clearly begins here, the Apostle John, with the announcement of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You might assume then that John would just pick right up with verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us that John would then herald the coming of Christ and talk about these things. But notice what he does here. And this announcement of Christ who has always been the Apostle John breaks there in verse 6 to talk about John the Baptist. And so just as amazing as it is that God would break four centuries of silence with the announcement of John the Baptist's birth, it's also amazing that in the Apostle John's Gospel that he would somewhat interrupt this telling of Christ to talk about this man who was sent from God. He makes it clear to us that he is not speaking of the Christ. He makes it clear to us in verse 6 that that John the Baptist was not the Christ. There seemed to be some, some confusion here. And so the Apostle John wants to make sure people understand, no, this is not the Christ. This is the one who God sent to be a witness you think of that term witness, you probably think of it in context of a courtroom. Someone who is a, a witness in a trial. Someone who is coming to give a testimony. They're coming to tell something that perhaps they saw or something they heard or something they know about. That They're giving some valuable piece of information. Whether in support of someone or in seeking to convict someone else. That they are a witness. They're offering testimony about what they've seen or heard or know. Here we see that John is not in a courtroom. But he is very much a witness. The, the Greek there for witness means someone who offers confirmation on the basis of personal knowledge or belief. And so John is telling here not only what he knows, he's telling him what he believes and he's telling his That he believes in the Messiah and he believes Christ indeed is the Messiah. In fact, he believes what his father was told by the angel Gabriel. That that he would go before men and he would call them to repentance. That, That he would make a way for the path of the Messiah. But I hope you note here that John the Baptist didn't just come as a witness before Christ came. He was a witness even when Christ was here. 
We might expect John the Baptist at that moment where Jesus comes and he baptizes him, we might expect John to think, okay, I'm done now. I came and I prepared and I called people to repentance. Now, Jesus, it's all yours. I mean, think about it. Who would you rather hear preach? Jesus or me? <laughs> Did Jesus or someone call to tell people about Jesus. Surely everybody would just want to go hear from Jesus, but note here that God sends John not just to be a witness prior to the ministry of Jesus, he sends him to be a witness during the ministry of Jesus as well. And this is important, friends, but because I think it tells us something about the methodology of our God. It says something about the significance of God using men and women to be His witnesses. Not just in preparation for the Lord's coming, but even as the Lord ministers. We see there in John chapter 3, well into the ministry of Jesus, John the Baptist continuing to minister, continuing to tell his disciples to listen to and to follow and to trust in Jesus Christ. A reminder to us that God wants us to be a witness as well. See, God didn't need John the Baptist. <laughs> I mean, God sent the angel Gabriel there to Zechariah, and He sent the angel Gabriel to Mary. There's nothing that limited God here. God could have sent the angel Gabriel to thousands of people. God could have sent the angel Gabriel to everyone alive on the planet at that point. God could have sent the angel Gabriel to go and to herald the coming of Christ. He didn't need John. It's not just that. God could have done this any way He chose to. God could have written the gospel in the clouds. You think about that for a moment. Well, what would catch your attention more? So to come here on a Sunday morning and me to stand here as prayerfully I do each Sunday and to preach the gospel to you, or if you walked out of your house this morning and looked up in the sky and all of a sudden written in the cloud was repent and trust in Jesus Christ. Now perhaps you'd think, well, somebody went to great effort and there's planes that can do that now. They can write things in the sky. But imagine then as you were walking towards your vehicle if suddenly God decided to make the trees talk. You know, I was watching not long ago the, the Wizard of Oz. You might remember that scene in The Wizard of Oz. Dorothy's walking through the forest. She's hungry. So she goes to get an apple, and all of a sudden the tree starts talking to her. So she reminds herself she's in this mystical land. But imagine you're, you're looking up, still kind of curious about why those words are still in the clouds. They've still stayed there. They, they've lingered. And all of a sudden you look over, and, and a tree is speaking to you. Repent and trust in the Lord Jesus. And perhaps that's not enough for you, so as you continue to your vehicle, the neighbor's dog comes over. <laughs> and instead of nipping at your toes, barking at you, he opens his mouth, she opens her mouth, and out come the words. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. You might think this morning that, well, my gosh, if God did that in someone's life, surely they would believe. Friends, God could do whatever He wants to do. But He has chosen in His sovereignty 
He has chosen that which bears his image to proclaim his glory. You and I are the image bearers of God. Not the clouds, not the trees, not the dogs, certainly not the cats. We, people, humans, we we bear the image of the Almighty. And He has chosen that which bears His image to proclaim His name. He did not need John the Baptist any more than He needs you and I this morning. But He called this man just as He has called you and I this morning. We too have been sent by God to be witnesses of His glory and His gospel. Ian Bound said it this way, Men are God's method. And so we see this call. It's not just on John, it's on us as well. And so the question for the believer is never, does God want me to be a witness? That The question is always, who does God want me to be a witness to? Who in His sovereignty has He placed in my life and in yours? Who has He placed in your home and in mine? Who has He placed beside your home and your neighbor's home? Who has He placed in your workplace, your daily commute? Who has He placed at the gas station where you buy your gas? Who has He placed at the restaurant that you frequent? Who has He placed in all these different places in your life that that you might be a witness to that person and to those people? In Acts 1.8, Jesus makes it clear. He doesn't say, some of you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say, you know, just, just the ones who are really good at it will be my witnesses. No, he says, you, plural, you, all of you, you will be my witnesses. John 1.7, he, there was a man He, John, sent from God. Point two. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. God sent a witness about the light. John, the Apostle John in his Gospel is very clear on this point. That the the light is Jesus. There's no confusion here. In John's Gospel, he he refers to the light no less than 24 times. He he, he talks about how Jesus is the light. John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John 8.12, and Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12.36, Jesus again speaking says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. The Apostle John makes it clear here. Jesus is the light. And John the Baptist makes it clear here. He's not Jesus. <laughs> he makes it clear to those who are coming to it that, that he's not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light because there's some confusion here. And maybe not so much among the Apostle John's readers, but certainly among the religious leaders of John the Baptist's day. Now think here for a moment about all that we've discussed in our study of Exodus. That they think about how God established the tabernacle and how ornate it was to be in the priest. And perhaps you remember the, the high priest garments. How they had all these things on that spoke of the glory of God. 
And here you have this one who was a Levite, but he was no high priest. No, the scripture tells us that he probably looked more like a demoniac than a high priest. His hair long and unkept. His diet was that of beasts. He lives in the wild. And here he is, this unkept, mangy person who thinks that that he can call people to repentance and faith, that that he's going to somehow baptize them, that there was baptism going on during this time, but it was for ritual purification. Who is this man who looks like a, a wild beast of a man, a demoniac? Who does he think he is to come out here and baptize people for some type of purification? So this troubles the religious leaders. I don't think they're sitting around thinking, well, maybe he's the Messiah, maybe he's the Christ, maybe he's Elijah. No. But there's an inquiry here. And so they come to John, are you the Christ? No, no, I'm not. Are you Elijah? They believe that the spirit of Elijah would return in the last times. No, I'm not. Are you the prophet? Well, John was a prophet. He was the last prophet of the Old Covenant. But they believed that there was the prophet again who would come in the last days in the spirit of Moses. John says, no, that's, that's not who I am either. He makes it clear he's none of these. Well, who are you then? <laughs> well, we got to go back and give a report. And you're not giving us much to go on here, John. And John lets them know he's simply a witness called by God call people to repentance and preparation for the gospel of the Messiah who's about to begin his ministry. John's making it clear here, it's not about him. It's about Jesus. In fact, the Apostle John makes that clear to us in verse 9 here that, that he's a witness of the true light. The true light. And so John wasn't simply calling people to turn from sin He was calling people to turn from sin and to place their faith in Christ. To turn from sin and turn to Christ. John here is not calling people to some new form of religion. John here is calling people to pure and undefiled religion rooted in Jesus Christ. John here is not calling people to to vow and try harder. He's not offering a 12-step program. He's not offering 10 ways to be a better Fill in the blank. He is saying to them, repent every single one of you and trust in the one who is to come. In fact, one of the clearest texts that speaks to the gospel is John chapter 3. You're probably familiar with Nicodemus and Jesus and the interaction, but as you go through in John 3, you get to verse 36, and here you have John the Baptist speaking to his followers here, and he says this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Friends, this is the Gospel. This is the true light that John the Baptist shared. And this is the Gospel that we are called to share as well. We need to preach the same gospel that Jesus preached and that John the Baptist preached. And if we're going to preach that gospel, we're going to say some things that are uncomfortable. 
We're going to say some things that aren't politically correct. We're going to say some things, I don't know what the term would be, that aren't, that aren't churchy correct, whatever language you want to throw in there. There's there so many churches today, there's so many pastors today who've resigned themselves not to speak about the wrath of God. But one of the largest churches in our nation has a man who gets up and holds the Bible every Sunday and he has resigned himself and gone on record to say he will not speak of sin, he will not speak of hell, he will not speak of the wrath of God. Friends, that's no gospel. That's heresy. That, that's feel-good religion. That's coming here and let me make you comfortable. Do you want to build a crowd? We can preach something different. We can make people feel good all day long. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, that makes people feel a bit uncomfortable. Because what does that gospel say? Romans 3.23 All have sinned. So you walk in the doors of this church, and I've never met you before. Hey, I'm Richard. It's nice to meet you. I don't know you, but I can tell you one thing about you. You're a desperate sinner. <laughs> Hope you come back next week. <laughs> Well, let's go further. Not just are you a sinner, but the gospel also tells us from a 623 that the wages of sin is death. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but because of your sin, you have offended a holy God and you are deserving of His wrath. And that's not just for a few days. That's for an eternity and a literal hell where you will be underneath the wrath of a holy God. Merry Christmas. <laughs> we deserve that. Do you understand that? Do you truly accept that teaching of the gospel? That every one of us in this room, we deserve hell. And everything inside us right now creeps up. Well, Pastor, I'm not that bad. Yes, you are. Ask the person next to you. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. That's great, but somebody's sitting beside you saying the same thing. That the standard is not one another. I mean, my goodness, how many people live in this county, in this city, and their standard is people? Well, I'm, you know, I'm not coming to that church, Pastor. I don't know if you know it or not, but it's full of hypocrites. Yes, I do know it. I am one. Come join us. There's room for more. No, the, the gospel handed down to us through the Word of God is that, that we deserve the wrath of God. But, but there's good news. In Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, if there's no literal wrath of God, if there's no real punishment for sin, then the cruelest thing that ever happened in the world was the cross of Jesus Christ. Because in that case, it's completely unnecessary. I read an article once years ago written by a prominent sociologist who spoke of the cross in terms of Divine child abuse. Well, what, what kind of father would subject their son to such suffering and agony? That's abuse. 
Well, yeah, you know what? If there is no gospel, that's exactly what it is. But there's a gospel. And there's a wage of sin. And there's a consequence. And God demonstrates His love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ took the penalty for us. And this, oh my goodness, you want to talk about a gift exchange, you know? I mean, some of y'all are going to, to, to get-togethers and family things and parties and you're, you're exchanging gifts and you're like, well, I don't know if I spent that much. Well, I spent more than they spent. You're talking about the worth of gifts. You did nothing but sin and violate the law of God and He has given you eternal life in His Son. And Christ did nothing but obey and be perfect and He suffered the death you and I deserved. Now, that's an exchange there. That's a gift that's been given to us. But you don't get there if you bypass the wrath of God and hell and sin. We're called to be witnesses of the true light, the true gospel. In response to this gospel, we're called to, to believe and to confess and to walk in obedience. And that's part of the gospel. That the gospel's not some... <laughs> supernatural monopoly card, get out of jail free, get out of hell free. The gospel is not our eternal fire insurance. That the gospel is a call to a life of obedience. That the gospel is a call to die to ourselves and be made alive in Christ Jesus. You know who said that? Jesus, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, He said, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow Me. Forever will save his life, will lose it. Whoever loses his life for My sake will save it. There is a cost to the Gospel. It's not something you put in a plate. It's not seed money you send in by faith. The cost is this. You simply die. You put in the grave that which was once your greatest desire and motivation. You put in the grave who you used to be and you are made alive, the Scripture says, in Christ. That's the picture in baptism, by the way. That's why getting sprinkled doesn't begin to cover it. Because when you go under that water, that, that is a picture of you being buried. The old Richard, the old you, they die. And the new one is raised to life in Jesus Christ. There's a cost. A man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about this cost years ago in a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who openly opposed Hitler and his regime. He openly preached the gospel as a result of these things. He was put in a Nazi prison camp. He spent two years in that prison camp. And for those of you who know anything about Nazi prison camps, you can imagine what he suffered there. And on April 9th, 1945, one month 
before Germany surrendered. He was brought out in front of the camp and he was hanged to death. There are beautiful writings you can read. He was engaged to be married, though he never would be. You can read the letters to his bride that would never be. You can read the cost of discipleship of what he trusted in. And years before he would be hanged in that prison camp, he he wrote these words. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which... Every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. When we give over our lives to death, and thus it begins... The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Friends, this is the gospel we preach. This is the word we have called to bear witness about. We are not called to preach a message of morality or do better religion. We are called to preach a gospel that bids men and women and children to come and die and in that death to find life in Christ. John was a man sent from God as a witness to bear witness about the light. Point three, that we might believe. John 1.7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that that all might believe through him. God sent a witness that that we might believe. That the apostle John, if if he liked the word light, he certainly loved the word believe. It's in his gospel about a hundred times. But, but it means something different than I, than I think many times we often associate belief with. So many times we associate belief with, with, with intellect, with, with knowledge. Oh, I believe that. I know that. Here's what this word believe means. It means to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of one's trust. But belief isn't just knowing, belief is doing. Belief is trusting. Belief requires action. Friends, consider this in light of how so many people respond to Jesus today. Do you believe in Jesus? Oh yeah! Jesus is the reason for the season. Can I get an amen? I believe. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Well, where do you go to church at? Well, you know. Me and church, you know, I just kind of do my own church. Oh. 
What's, what's one evidence in your life of your belief? What's one fruit in your life of belief? What is, what is any discernible way your life looks different now than it looks before you believed? Huh? Do you believe in Jesus? We need, we need to ask, do you trust in Jesus? Do you trust Jesus to where when Jesus says yes to something, you say yes to it. And when Jesus says no to it, you say no to it. Do you trust Jesus and obey Him when He says in His Word, do this, is that what you seek to do? And when He says don't do this, is that what you run away from? Are you like so many others in the muddy waters of of cultural Christianity who will say all day long, oh, I believe. Their life is fruitless. The Scripture says there will be a reckoning, by the way. Jesus said one day there's going to be people who stand there in the masses and they say to Him, Lord. You know what He's going to say? I never knew you. See, belief requires action. Belief requires trust. Think of it this way. Imagine we were to all go on a cruise together. You know, Merry Christmas. I'm not paying for it, but let's just imagine someone is. Bloomfield Baptist Church Cruise. Pastor Matt will lead the entertainment. It'll be a big time. And let's imagine we're on this cruise ship, all of us. And we're halfway across the ocean. Where we're halfway between the coast of one continent and the coast of another. And then something goes tragically wrong. And we're told by the ship's captain that this ship can no longer stay afloat. Now the good news is this. We are equipped with enough life rafts for every person on this boat. You don't need to fear. Just follow these instructions. Go to the edge of the ship. You'll find these life rafts. They're inflating them now. They will keep you safe. You can get in the sea. Someone will come and get us. And so imagine we make our way out there. and You see what seems to be the dingiest life raft you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> Maybe it's got duct tape all over it. <laughs> Looks like a relic from a world war. And you're standing there, and somebody else standing there, and you start to think, I don't know how much I trust in that. And what if the guy next to you, well, no, I, I believe that's going to hold us. I, I believe it will. I mean, it's a life raft, and I believe it's going to hold me up. I don't have any problem in the world. The next guy says, well, gosh, I believe it, but I'm kind of struggling. I mean, oh, that's, that doesn't look very safe. And the other guy's saying, well, you know, I believe that's a way that we might get saved, but I think I'm just going to hang back here because surely there's another ship that's going to come by and pick us up. And so as the ship goes deeper and deeper and deeper into the waters, the one who believes but is worried, the one who believes and is not worried, they get into the life raft. And the one who believes but says, well, surely there'll be another way, stays on board the ship. And the ship goes under. Friends, your belief that that raft will save you will not save you. You've got to get off the boat. 
You've got to trust it. Now, you don't have to have perfect faith. <laughs> Two people get in the boat. One sits there the whole time, worried to death. Oh, it's going to sink. Oh, it won't hold us up. Oh, I don't know if I can trust this. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And the other one's saying, well, no, I trust it. I trust it. I trust it. Which one of them goes in the water? Neither. They're both saved. They're in the raft. But the one who stays on the ship and says all day long, well, I believe that surely there's another way. They will not be saved. Do you see the comparison here, friend? If your belief is one that never acts in faith, if your belief is one that never puts full trust in Jesus, if your belief is one that never requires obedience, then friend, you're not saved. And the ship is going to sink. And there's no one else coming. God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners on a sinking ship, He sent His Son to rescue us. And this morning you might think, well, Pastor, I, I trust in Him, but man, my faith is weak. Well, praise God, mine is too a lot of days. But, but it's not the strength of your faith that saves you, friend. It's the strength of the Savior that you and I trust in. It's not just those of great faith that are saved. It's those who have faith in Christ, weak or strong. It comes down to this. Do you trust in Christ and in Christ alone? Are you trusting in other things in this world, friend? Are you holding on to other things in this world for your security? Are you holding on to, to people and relationships and things and, and just vain things of this world? Material things of this world? Status in this world? Are you holding on to these things for your comfort and your security? Are you willing to let go of all of them and hold on to Christ and Christ alone? Are you trusting in Christ? That is the question for us this Lord's Day. I'll come back to where I started. I do encourage you to gather with your family this Thursday and, and watch that Charlie Brown Christmas special. And when you do, I hope you'll make note of something. That there's this point that oftentimes we miss in that scene where where Linus, that young boy who sucks his thumb and has his blanket as he walks out to center stage and as he begins to recite from Luke chapter 2, he gets to the point in that passage where the angel declares to the shepherds, Fear not. And in that moment, in this cartoon, he lets go of his blanket. It's the only time you see that. In a Charlie Brown special, in any cartoon. He's always got that blanket, but there's this moment. And I think Schultz was intentional in putting it there where he wanted to help people understand, listen, he's not holding on to anything else. This cartoon depiction of a little boy trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. Perhaps that's a reminder for us today to look to the Word which clearly teaches us to trust in Christ and Christ alone. To let go of the things of this world. When Christ calls a man, He calls him to bid and die. Have you died? And if not, are you willing to? That you might live. These are things for us to consider this Advent Sunday. If you would stand together as I pray for us and as we sing together.
Father, you tell us clearly in your word there was, there was a man you sent named John. He, he was a witness of the light that all might believe. Father, there were many who did respond to John the Baptist. There were many who did respond to Jesus, but we know from your word there were so many that didn't. That there were people who, who heard from Christ, who saw the Christ, and still they, they walked away in unbelief. And Father, there are people today who will hear the words of Christ, who will hear the story of Christ, and they too will walk away. And Father, I pray that if there's any here who has done that or is in danger of doing that again, that your Spirit might overwhelm them with the reality of their sin, that they might perhaps for the first time in their life understand that the depths of their sin and the reality of your wrath that they deserve. And at the same time, Lord, that you would shed the light and the beauty of the gospel to them. That they might see your love and your goodness and your grace and might respond to the true light of Jesus. Father, as we sing, help us not just to intellectually agree with these things. Help us to believe in them and trust in them and to let go of anything that might interfere with that trust. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.